Well, good morning and welcome to Purpose Church. You're finding us in the middle of a year-long series called Jesus on Every Page, where we're looking at literally every book of the Bible one Sunday. Some Sundays we'll cover two books at a time, but we're looking for where is Jesus on every page of the Bible. And within that larger year-long series, we find ourselves in a mini-series today called God's playlist where we're looking at the wisdom uh, literatures within the Old Testament. And the message today is Proverbs, Jesus, our perfectly wise friend. Now here's the thing. I know two things about you. The two things I know about you are this. Number one, you value intentionality. And number two, you need friendships. Here's what I mean. You value intentionality. You want your mechanic to be intentional as he checks your car before giving it back to you. You want your dentist to be intentional as he inspects your kid's teeth. If you're a high school student, you want your winter formal date to be intentional about getting the right colored bow tie or tie and corsage. If you're a student in general, you want your teacher or your professor to be intentional as they grade your papers. Or maybe you want them to intentionally look over some of your papers and just give you that A+. You want your tax professional to be intentional as they run your numbers. And you want your pilot or your rideshare driver to be intentional as they transport you. And maybe you've been on a flight before or in a vehicle where you weren't so sure that the pilot was being intentional and it takes you to a whole nother anxiety level. I remember one time my wife Sarah and I were driving or were flying from Louisiana all the way back to Los Angeles and we had to stop in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. Well, there was an incredible amount of turbulence on the flight into Dallas and we were in a really small plane. It had two seats, an aisle, and then one seat, really small plane. And my poor wife, Sarah, she hates turbulence. I mean, it is so disturbing and disorienting for her. She's really afraid of it. And and there was a a significant amount of turbulence. And so Sarah thought, well, I'm just gonna distract myself. And so at that time she was a teacher and so she's grading uh, her paper. She had about a stack of a hundred middle school papers that she was grading and all of a sudden the plane dipped really dramatically and Sarah grabbed those papers, threw them in the air. I mean, it was like confetti everywhere. It was absolutely hilarious. And so I kind of went down the aisles and grabbed those papers and I said, okay, Sarah, it's, it's going to be okay. And, and then not a few minutes later, there was another even more dramatic turbulent dip in the plane and Sarah, I mean, she just went charismatic on us. I mean, she was praying loudly. She was going, God, I know we're going to die, but could you please spare us? And I was telling her, I was like, babe, it's good to pray, but you just got to pray quietly. Like people are going to freak out. You see, we want the people in our lives to be intentional, but not only do you value intentionality, but you need friendships. National Geographic had done a research uh, years ago on teenagers' brains, and what they discovered was that teenagers receive a higher neurological reward when they're feeling acceptance, belonging, and connection with peers. Teens' brains have a special sensitivity to dopamine and oxytocin, both neural hormones that fire during social interactions. 
Our brains respond to peer exclusion the same way they respond to threats of physical health or lack of food. Social rejection, not just for teenagers, but for humanity is literally, social rejection is literally a threat to our existence. It's why the world-renowned Christian therapist, Dr. Henry Cloud, he, he said this, the brain needs three things to survive. Glucose, which is sugar, oxygen, and relationships. People that study the brain have literally found that, that those who had no significant, meaningful, deep relationships have more dark spots on their brain. We were wired for relationships. And yet, sadly, studies show that about 25% of people in the United States say they don't have any close friends. You see, great friendships don't just happen. They are intentionally built. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we look at the book of Proverbs. But before we get into our topic, let's talk about Proverbs at large. How the book of Proverbs oftentimes gets misunderstood. There's a Christian apologist and theologian and biblical scholar by the name of Alan Schleman. And, and Alan said this, Proverbs are not promises. Let me say that again. Proverbs in the Bible are not promises that God is required to satisfy for you. When it comes to Proverbs, it's important to realize that as a part of its genre, one of the most important interpretive principles is to remember that Proverbs are the way life generally goes. Proverbs entail probable outcomes, not guaranteed outcomes. For example, Christian parents will cite Proverbs 22.6 that says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they get older, they will not depart from it. And the way they interpret this passage is they take it as a promise from God. Proverbs are the way life generally goes. They're general principles for life. And there is no promise implied by Proverbs 22.6. Well, why is the book of Proverbs important today? Why the book of Proverbs matters today? You see, in the year 2023, we have at our fingertips more information than any other people group in the history of the world. We can Google, we can ask Siri or Alexa, we can type in any browser and find almost any bit of information that we are curious about. And yet, isn't it kind of ironic that in a historical moment where we have at our fingertips every bit of information that we are still capable of making utterly stupid decisions, right? I, you know, in your own life, in my life, the things that I've done, and yet I have all of the information at my fingertips. Well, Proverbs chapter one, verse one begins this way. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Well, right there we discover that King Solomon is the author of the book of Proverbs. And King Solomon was the second wisest person to ever live. Second to Jesus, of course. And, and that bit of information is recorded for us in 1 Kings chapter 4. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breath of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. 
Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He spoke 3,000 Proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Now, Solomon, Solomon ruled as the king of Israel from the years 971 to 931 BC. He seems to have written his Proverbs early in his reign before his heart was turned from the Lord as is recorded in 1 Kings 11 verses 1 to 11. Since the book reveals a heart given completely to God. The book of Proverbs was not compiled in its final form until King Hezekiah's reign around 715 to 686 BC as is described in Proverbs 25 verse 1. Well, let's continue in Proverbs chapter one, verses two to seven. It says the purpose of Proverbs is for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see Solomon inspired by the Holy Spirit wrote the book of Proverbs for literally everyone for those that are simple, for those that are young, for those that are wise and discerning. It doesn't matter what age or stage of life you're in, Proverbs has something to say to you. You see, the Hebrew word for wisdom is hachma, and it literally means skills for living. That's, that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. And yet in order to fully understand what Proverbs is trying to tell you and I, in order to fully benefit from the skills for living recorded in Proverbs, we have to have the right operating system. And the right operating system is recorded for us in verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, the, the, the operating system you and I need in order to get the most out of Proverbs is to have a reverence for God, a recognition that he is holy, he is perfect, he is wise completely, that he is infinite and we are finite. And so our posture towards him is one of reverence and humility. And with that operating system, you and I can experience all that God wants to teach us, all of the skills for living that Proverbs has to offer you and I. The uh, Old Testament scholar R. Kent Hughes, he, he says this in his commentary, Preaching the Word, wisdom humbly gives in to God's design. It adapts and adjusts. You see, there's an acknowledgement that God knows and sees more than we do and we need him. You see, Proverbs is really answering the question, how is life best lived? Which isn't that such a relevant and important and critical question right now? 
in a moment where we have all the information in the world, the most important question is this, how is, the, how is life best lived? The uh, Bible scholar and theologian, Dr. Joel Mutamali, he says this, a theology that is unlivable is so unhelpful. And maybe that's one of the reasons that you've been disinterested from church for a little while is, is you feel like the things that get talked about are, are not helpful. Well, today's message is really designed to live out this reality that a theology that isn't livable, isn't helpful, but a theology that is livable, that, that can literally change the way we live, that is most helpful. Now, before we get into the five things that great friends do, before we talk about friendship, I, I wanna prepare you and warn you in this way. I, I wanna advise you to, to listen to this message as if you're looking in a mirror, because I guarantee you, as you're hearing some of the things that scripture is drawing out about what makes a great friend, you will be tempted to ask yourself, why aren't my friends like that? And that's an important question and you wanna evaluate the kind of friends you have, but I would ask you to, to humbly consider asking a more important question first. And it's this, how can I be that kind of friend to others? And so here's my challenge for you. As we go through these five things that great friends do from the book of Proverbs, I wanna invite you to write down in your notepad or circle in your notes, one of these that you personally feel you need to work on. So without further ado, let's jump into five things great friends do. No, number one is this, great friends are trustworthy. Great friends are trustworthy. Proverbs 11 verse 13 says, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. You see, gossip is poison. Gossip, in fact, is one of Satan's favorite weapons to create disunity and division and to break apart relationships that God desires to bring together. The thing about gossip is gossip builds a connection quickly, but it will crumble faster, right? Have you ever had a friend lean in and say, hey, I, I gotta tell you something. I, I, I found out something about someone else. What does it feel like in that moment? It actually feels like you have a strong, quick connection with that person because you're sharing a secret that nobody else knows about. And yet, you know, if you've lived any amount of time at all, that it will crumble faster because that person that invited you in to gossip about someone else is probably gossiping about you with another. But on the other hand, trustworthiness builds a connection slowly, right? It, it takes time to discern that somebody is trustworthy, but it will last longer. There's a Pastor Glennism that a lot of us talk about around the office here. And he's used it in sermons before and he'll use it in leadership settings. And, and the principle essentially is this, it's the buckets of water or buckets of gasoline principle. And, and Pastor Glenn will say that every one of us walks around with two buckets, a bucket of gasoline and a bucket of water. And when we come across a, a, a relational issue, we come across a situation where things are tense, 
that, that we have two options in that moment, that we can pour gasoline on that little fire and make it erupt and do far more damage, or we can have buckets, we can utilize our buckets of water to put out those gossips, to put out those things that actually betray relationships, that betray our confidence. Number two, great friends address conflict instead of avoiding it. Proverbs 27 verse six says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. That's interesting, right? But an enemy multiplies kisses. You see, part of being a great friend is mastering the art and believing in the urgency and the importance of addressing conflicts and issues within the relationship instead of merely avoiding it. Now, at times you just look over an issue and somebody bothers you or frustrates you in a small way, but if a matter gets repeated or if, if it's significant enough that it's, it's really weighing you down in the relationship, great friends address conflict and they do it by going directly to the person. The temptation is always to go to everyone else, to go to social media and to avoid actually talking with the person that you have the conflict with. And here's the thing, as, as this passage says in the very beginning, at times friends will offer you some kind of constructive feedback some kind of criticism. And if, if we're honest with ourselves, it feels painful at times that a friend calls you out on a habit that's bad, a, an addiction that may be taking over your life, an issue that they see that they feel you need to address. And, and that can be received as offensive. It can be received as a criticism. But could I encourage you that as scripture reminds us, it's actually good for us. That you are blessed if you have friends or family or, or a spouse or roommates or colleagues who, who care about you enough that they're willing to wound you a little bit by telling you something that might be hard for you to hear. And God's word does that. God does that because he loves us. But I also want to say that there are some people who are criticizing you that you shouldn't listen to. In fact, I remember listening on a podcast to a seasoned senior pastor of a church. I forgot his name, but he, he, he said this, don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from. That'll preach. I, I, I'm just going to repeat this again. Let this sink in for a minute. Don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from. The next time somebody criticizes you, ask yourself genuinely, would I take advice from this person? If the answer is no, dismiss their criticism. But if the answer is yes, then it might be time to lean into that constructive feedback and that criticism so that you might become more the person that God desires you to be. Number three, great friends make each other better. Great friends make each other better. One of the most popular Proverbs in all of the book is Proverbs 27 verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And you've been in friendships like that or relationships like that. 
where the person that you are connecting with literally is making you better. And here's the thing, God doesn't just want you to grow. Of course he wants you to grow, but he wants you to help those around you grow. So of course he wants you to have friendships in your life that make you better, but he wants you to be engaged and initiating in relationships where you are intentionally helping and supporting those in your life. And this principle, if we could go back to the scripture of iron sharpening iron, this is such a great uh, benchmark or measuring stick for thinking about the most significant deep relationships of your life. And I want to talk to those of you that are tuning in, that are watching or listening. I want to talk to those of you that are single right now. Because the temptation is when it comes to possibly wanting to date, maybe you're single and you do want to be in a dating relationship or you're pursuing that. The temptation could be to just focus on finding someone who shares some of your interests, whose personalities you connect with. Could I encourage you to think more biblically since our operating system is reverence for God and humility before him that possibly the most important thing, I'm not saying it's the only thing, but possibly the most important thing you need to be thinking about as you're leaning into dating someone or being in a relationship with someone is this, does this person sharpen me? Or could we have a kind of relationship where six months from now, we would both be closer to Jesus because of it? You've probably heard this before. And if you haven't, there's this relationship priority principle And it goes master, mission, and mate. And especially for those of you that are young adults, maybe you're a high school student or young adults, or or you find yourself in a season where you're wanting to engage in a relationship, it is so important that you first answer this question. Who is your master? Are, Are you the master of your life? Is your employer the master of your life? Is is a certain alcohol the master of your life? What is the master? Is it your paycheck? What is the master of your life? Is it Jesus? You've got to answer this question because every single one of us has a master. That either we're the master of our lives, something else is the master of our lives, or Jesus Christ is the master of our lives. And before you get into any kind of romantic relationship, it is so important that you first answer this question, who is your master? And after you've answered that question, then you need to answer the question, what is my mission? What is it? And I'm not just talking, I'm not talking about like a job necessarily. I'm talking about what has God put you here for? What's your purpose? That's one of our favorite words here at Purpose Church. What is your purpose? What is the unique thing that God has called you to do? How has God called you to live your life in accordance with his word? And after you establish that Jesus Christ is your master and that's not changing. And after you're clear on this is my mission, this is what I believe God has called me to do with my life. Then, then you begin looking for a mate that matches, that shares the same master, Jesus Christ, and whose mission is congruent with yours. The problem in our culture right now is that most people start by looking for a mate and they've failed to answer the question, who's my master and what's my mission? And so they connect with somebody, they begin a relationship with somebody, they choose to marry that person, but turns out the master and the mission were not in alignment and it creates challenges. And God in his sovereign, perfect wisdom 
wants you to have a relationship that he desires in his order. Number four, great friends use their words wisely. Proverbs 12 verse 18 says this, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Haven't you been in relationships where somebody said some things to you that just pierced you and not in a good way, but just left you limping, left you wounded, left you scarred, left you vulnerable. You see, our words are incredibly powerful. One of the rules in Sarah and I's marriage, we've been married almost 14 years. One of our rules is we avoid using the words never and always. Because the reality is when we're in an argument and one of us says, you never dot, 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 or you always dot, dot, dot. Those are not true statements, but instead those are intended to hurt and to wound. And honestly, they're, they're reckless. You see, when a great friend comes into your life and, and uses their words wisely, to bring healing and with intentionality, they can, a friend can help you realize things that you couldn't realize on your own. Friends, I gotta remind you that words weigh, way more than you think. I'll say that again, words weigh, way more than you think, especially, especially if you're a parent. And I just gotta confess to you, I'm even feeling convicted right now as I'm preaching. Because in the same ways that it kind of comes easy for me to be really overly generous and kind in my words with my kids, that there can be a shadow side to that. And sometimes I can say things to them that I wish I could take back. And as a parent, your words have so much weight to them. But, but if you're a boss, if you're a mentor, if you're a leader in any capacity over people, your words have a weight to them. And while those words can be used to harm, those words can be used to help someone see their potential in Christ. I was thinking about it this week, you know, for all of us, our life is really the sum of the words that were said to us or the ones that were withheld from us. All right, if you spend some time getting to know somebody's story, you'll oftentimes hear, yeah, my dad used to say this to me and it helped me overcome a really difficult obstacle. You'll hear another person say, my dad never said that he was proud of me. If you think about your life and you think about the words that were said by the people that are closest to you, your family, your closest friends and colleagues, maybe even your neighbors, that our lives are shaped by the words that people say to us and the ones that they withhold from us. And so, oh friend, would you consider using your words that have so much weight to them intentionally to build up? Let's go back to our verse to, to bring a sense of healing into the lives of those around us. Imagine if you were that kind of friend or spouse or parent. You see, words are, are powerful. I know a young man who has spent most of his life 
bouncing from foster home to foster home to group home. In fact, I think as he's about to turn 18, he's been in almost 17 different foster homes or group homes. Well, he pulled up to the house of the family, the foster family that he's most recently with and the ones that are actually going to be adopting him. And he sat in the car for about 20 minutes before getting out as he was uncertain of what he was going to experience, what awaited him. Well, when he got out of the car, the foster mom was standing there and here were her first words to him. Welcome home, son. Welcome home, son. This young man has told me repeatedly that hearing the name son changed the trajectory of his life. Because you see up to this point in his life, no one had ever called him son. No one had ever claimed him as son and yet he heard it here in this relationship with his new foster mom and it has changed everything. Fifth, our our final thing that great friends do, great friends forgive and rebuild. Great friends forgive and rebuild. Proverbs 17 verse nine says, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Whoever continues to bring up the offense that has already been forgiven, that has already been dealt with, actually separates friendships, but love and forgiveness and rebuilding that, that, that fosters a love in a relationship. Great friends forgive and rebuild. And friends, it's just simply true that you can either choose forgiveness or you can choose bitterness. You got two options. You could choose forgiveness, especially with those friends that at one point you were so close with them, maybe pre-pandemic, you were so close with these friends, but because of all that has transpired and because of some things that they posted, that you posted, because of some misunderstandings and communication, because you were feeling a little hot-headed, there has created some distance over the last several years. Would you consider re-engaging and forgiving and even rebuilding. You see, division is worldly. Division is Satan's favorite weapon and tool. But what what causes the church of Jesus Christ to stand out in a broken, divided, hurting world is when his people choose to forgive and choose to rebuild. There was a man here at Purpose Church after one of my Sunday sermons where I was talking about forgiveness. He, he came up to the front and, and he had tears in his eyes and he said, Eric, when my mom was passing away, I was at her bedside. And as she spoke her final words to me before, before entering into heaven with Jesus Christ, her final words to her son were this. Forgive everyone, forgive everyone, forgive everyone. A seasoned saint who had lived for decades and decades and decades into her older years, when she thought about what would I tell my son? What would I pass on to him before I pass away from this earth? And her words to him were forgive everyone. And so friends, here's what I want to invite you to do. 
I want to invite you to try something with me. I want you to look back at the five things great friends do, that great friends are trustworthy. Great friends address conflict instead of avoiding it. Great friends make each other better. Great friends use their words wisely and great friends forgive and rebuild. And I want you to ask yourself, which one of these five things great friends do, do I need to work on? And I want you to circle that. Maybe you're going, oh, I feel like I need to work on all five of them. That might be a little bit too much for this week. And so simply circle one of them. And then if you want like extra bonus, like Christian points or something, you want some gold stars, I would actually challenge you to consider doing this next thing. Ask a Christian friend, family member, or your life group to pick one of the five things great friends do that they think you need to work on. What an incredible act of humility for you to bring this list of the five things great friends do to your roommate, to your spouse, to your children, to your friends, to your coworkers. And what if you said, hey, at church this Sunday, we talked about what great friends do from the book of Proverbs and I need your help. Which of these five do you think I need to work on? I think that might have a powerful, dynamic force of good in your relationships. I love what J.C. Ryle says. He says, friendship halves our sorrows and doubles our joys. Resist the temptation to live in isolation. Resist the temptation to have shallow surface level relationships. Resist the temptation to put up walls and to not let people in because what you're missing out on, on the reality that friendship halves our sorrows and it doubles our joys. But before we end this message, I've got one last big idea and this is a really important one. And it's this, Jesus, our perfect Friend, As we're asking the question, where is Jesus in the book of Proverbs? As we're asking the question throughout this series, Jesus on every page. Well, Jesus actually talked about friendship just like Solomon did in Proverbs. And here, here's the brutal reality. You will let people down. Yes, your spouse, your friends, your kids, those relationships that are close and meaningful to you, you will let them down. And as much as you wanna be all five of those things, the truth is you won't, you'll miss it. And it's also true that the friendships in your life, they're gonna let you down. That just like you're gonna let them down, they are going to let you down. And yet Jesus, who is holy, who is king of kings, who is the savior of the world, who is the Lord of the universe, who is creator of all things, who is infinite and high above, who is holy and perfect in every single way, is also your friend, or at least he wants to be. In John chapter 15, verses 15 to 16, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit 
that will last. Jesus says that he wants to call you friends. Jesus promises that he chose you before you ever chose him, that he has appointed you, that he has a purpose and a plan for your life, but he doesn't want you to follow him by yourself. In fact, you can't follow Jesus without Jesus. You can't be a Christian without being friends with Jesus. You see, Jesus is our forever faithful and perfectly wise friend. Oh, this is good news because some of you right now, you're thinking about the friends you wish you had and you're feeling particularly lonely in this season. And I do believe that God wants to surround you with some really great friends. But I also think that right now in this moment, Jesus wants you to know that he is your friend, that he wants to be your friend. The question is, are you friends with Jesus? You see, the first step to starting a friendship with Jesus is believing and declaring who he is. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and you will be a friend of Jesus. And so right now I wanna invite you, wherever you're watching this from, wherever you're listening from, like unless you're driving right now, don't close your eyes. But if the rest of you, wherever you're watching or listening from, if it's safe, would you close your eyes right now? And I wanna ask you a question. Are you in a friendship, in a saving relationship with Jesus? Is he the Lord of your life? And if that's what you want, if you wanna become a friend of Jesus, a forever friend of Jesus, if you wanna start that friendship with Jesus, I wanna invite you to say this prayer with me out loud. Jesus, you are not only the Lord of the universe, but you are the perfect friend. My sin was getting in the way, so you died in my place. You rose from the dead, defeating sin, so I could be forgiven and free. I trust you are God. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And today, I want to begin my forever friendship with you.